who's going to be drinking over the holidays? Well, you need some genetically engineered Z-biotics. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, as always, Gregor Mandel. And my guest is Zach Abbott. He's the CEO of Zbiotics, a San Francisco-based company making the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. Called Zbiotics, it breaks down acetaldehyde in the body, the primary cause of the morning-after hangover. But more than just making a product, Zach's company is on a mission. Today's podcast is brought to you by Twist Bioscience. Twist works in service of people who are changing the world for the better in fields such as medicine, agriculture, industrial chemicals, and data storage. Its unique silicon-based DNA synthesis platform provides precision at a scale that is otherwise unavailable. Check out their products at twistbioscience.com and join them as they write the future of science. Welcome to Mendel's Pod, Zach Abbott. Ah, yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, an honor to speak with uh, you know founder of genetics, so that's great. <laughs> First, let me say, I loved your website. I mean, out of all the websites I've gone to in a while, and I do visit a lot of websites <laughs> preparing for this podcast, really fired me up. It does a great job of communicating your message. And plus, I reordered some product. <laughs> yeah. um, talk to me about GMO 2.0. What is your vision here? Yeah, I think, you know, just, just touching on the, starting with the website broadly and then kind of zooming into that point, you know, you're exactly right that like we really, really worked hard to make our website something that was accessible to anybody, but wasn't at the same time, wasn't like too fluffy um, so that if somebody with the background in science went in, they didn't feel like there was nothing, there was nothing substantive there. So you, you know, we have kind of like layers of information, but we try to make everything really accessible because most people don't have, you know, a biology degree, you know, can be very smart people who specialize in, in very other, in, in various other fields and, but want to, want to learn the facts and want to know what's there. And, and, uh, and there's a fine line you walk where you kind of don't want to overwhelm people with too much information, uh, or go too high level with jargon. And, and as a, you know, PhD microbiologist myself, it took me a long time to recalibrate what I appreciated, what jargon was. I, I used to think that it was just the big words, but it turns out that there's a lot of things that people you know, don't remember from the high school biology class, understandably. And, uh, things like just the word protein or enzyme don't really have the same meaning to most people in the public, um, as they do to us. And so hmm. making sure you kind of give the right context for those things. And then, yeah, um, trying to be extremely transparent about what we're doing. I think that one of the things I learned early on in talking to customers was that they generally speaking have a kind of a, a, a general lack of trust in kind of everything on the internet. And that's a good thing because there's a lot of junk on the internet, but at the same time, it's very hard to parse what's real and what isn't. And I think that one of the overwhelming kind of messages we got from customers was that transparency and just clear information that was given to them and that seemed credible and honest um, and allowing people to kind of make their own decisions is what they want. That's why things like WebMD are so popular is that people can go in and kind of inform themselves and try to make their own decisions um, for better or worse. But that's, that's kind of what consumers want. So that was really the model when we were looking at building our website was like, how do we be extremely transparent, open, honest, incredible, and kind of sharing information with people in a way that was interesting. Um, and so the sort of the, on the website, we have a kind of section around GMO 2.0 and that's all around kind of that transparency and honest information and giving people 
the power to make their own decisions about GMOs. So to date, most genetic engineering is not something that consumers really had a choice about, right? It was it was sort of in their foods without them knowing it, um, and not for their benefit. Yes, and this that is created a, a lot of this is a big point for you. I love I love this point. Yeah, go on. Yeah, right. That you know that that people people didn't really ever get a choice around genetic engineering. And it certainly wasn't done for for their direct benefit. Uh-huh. Uh, that's not saying that genetic engineering wasn't done, uh, uh, but that uh, generally the consumer didn't really understand why it mattered to them. And I think having the opportunity to give people a product where we say pr- the product is proudly GMO, uh, we say it's clearly labeled in every box and every bottle. And then on the website, we talk about what the genetic engineering is and why we used it and how it benefits you, the end user, directly um, and, uh, and, and what it is. That's the other thing is that I think genetic engineering sounds very scary. Um, and so then when we just describe what we do, which is, you know, just homologous recombination, um, which is a, a basic bacterial um, natural process of, of its own genetic editing that we just sort of leverage um, that. And we explain in, in simple terms for the consumer kind of what that is and how it was done and why it was done that it's very disarming. And then people kind of like are, are willing to open up their minds a little bit, the possibility that genetic engineering, and this is really, you know, deeply the mission of Zbiotics is really just to not to advocate and say that all GMOs are good or bad. Um, but to get out of the conversation of good or bad or isn't or isn't it um, into this sort of like elevated conversation around like genetic engineering is a tool and it can be used to make products. And those products could be good or bad or used for good or bad. And and that's really how we should be looking at it. And so that's that's kind of the ultimate goal of that sort of like GMO 2.0. Right. So you're backing people up in the in consumer psychology, just backing them up <laughs> a step uh, for years, what, 30, 40 years um, yeah, there was uh, all the GMO um, seeds, right? Monsanto. Monsanto right. gave the whole thing the bad, the bad yeah, name because I mean, of the way they acted. And you, you wanted to give people some choice here. Put it on the shelf, proudly label a GMO, and and it's a great product. <laughs> it's a product exactly that right. the average person is going to say, "Oh yeah, I want to use this." Um, and it's so interesting coming out of the pandemic now. Um, you know, I've had so many conversations with people because, you know, these RNA vaccines were, you know, it was synthetic biology, right? Right. But this is a consumer product. You know, it's very much, you don't have to use it. Um, and, and, right. and all about choice and consumer exactly. psychology. And, and that's exactly the goal, right? Is the idea that like, this is not something, right? Like if you have diabetes, and you have to take insulin, right? You don't care if that insulin is made with a genetically engineered microbe. I mean, an incredible feat of, of synthetic biology and microbiology, of course. But like uh, at the end of the day, that's not really a choice because you basically live or die by it, right? But if you give somebody a product that they can't get anywhere else, like it's very novel and exciting product made with genetic engineering, um, then you know, and, and they're and they're able to decide to use it or not because it's not going to live or die, right? If they don't feel great the next day uh, after drinking, um, you know. I think that that's a, a really, it re- really kind of puts it in a whole different kind of mindset for people. And I think that that, for me, was a really exciting opportunity uh, to advocate for the technology in a, in a situation where the consumer has a full opportunity to choose and give people the information to make an informed choice. I thought that was a really great way to, to maybe open up people's minds a little bit. Let's get into the product, Zbiotics. Okay. And cool. yeah. uh, let me say, it, it works. I, I, I was just saying that I've reordered. I met you first on the roof of a conference building in San Francisco. With a, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had a drink in my hand. Um, so you gave me one of your bottles and mm-hmm. I, you know, I think I laughed a little bit. Um, but 
I bet yeah. I was meeting a lot of startups. I've met a lot of right. um, crazy ideas sure. that day. So, you know, it was all about, you know, welcoming it in. And so I, I took it. And um, what I can tell you, which you already know, is, you know, it works. Um, but I've not told you directly this because this is the first time that we've talked since then. So what is in the bottle? Yeah, no, and I appreciate that. I, let me first start by saying that, like, your response is the same response as everybody has, right? Like, like the initial kind of like skepticism and eye roll, and I get that, right? Like the, uh, you know, there's a lot of snake oil in this category, um, and there's a lot of distrust. And I think, uh, you know, and that's one of the things, one of the hills we have to climb with consumers is earning trust that this is different um, and that it's something that we really believe in and that we've done, um, you know, it's based in pretty, pretty strong, you know, scientific hypotheses. So, um, well, the there's a lot itself, of snake oil in the category of supplements, right? right? In that direction. Broadly, absolutely. But and then not, specifically. Yeah, but not in the category. I mean, like in the category of synthetic food tech. No. Right. And I no, knew I was talking to a, yeah, yeah, I knew I was talking to a scientist. And that's why I was like, right. no, I got to try. I got to try this. Yeah. yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, hate, we get a little bit of, of skepticism in that category as well because of our use case i think that like it's sort of it's not we're not curing cancer right we're not like uh you know solving like you know inflammatory disease or something we're we're applying to kind of this very everyday kind of i, I think what a lot of people see as sort of a frivolous use case and and, and i understand the, the skepticism that comes from that but you know our mission is bigger and it's it's around kind of bringing synthetic biology to consumers in a way that they can understand and appreciate in their daily lives as a way of advocating for the technology and also as a way of kind of helping people live happier and healthier lives so um, it's not kind of traditionally what people apply synthetic biology to, but I think it's something that we're really excited about. So as for as for what's in the bottle, um, basically what we have is it's a 15 mil or half ounce liquid shot. It's mostly water, um, mm -hmm. just with a little bit of flavoring, and then uh, our probiotic bacteria, um, which we have genetically engineered to express one extra enzyme uh, to help your body deal with uh, acetaldehyde, which is the toxic metabolic byproduct of drinking alcohol. So okay. um, just to kind of like, you know, a little a quick, quick uh, brief on, on, uh, on alcohol metabolism in the body. Um, so basically when you drink, um, the ethanol is absorbed into your blood. Most of the ethanol you drink is absorbed into your bloodstream and it sort of circulates throughout your body. It creates the effects that acetaldehyde has. Um, and then, uh, excuse me, creates the effects that ethanol has, I apologize. Uh, and then uh, it's, uh, makes its way to the liver where it is detoxified in two stages. Essentially, um, one enzyme uh, in your liver breaks the alcohol down into acetaldehyde, uh, an alcohol dehydrogenase enzyme. And then uh, subsequently, almost immediately, uh, nearly all of that acetaldehyde is converted really efficiently into acetate um, using a second enzyme, acetaldehyde dehydrogenase. Um, and so essentially that, that process of alcohol or ethanol to acetaldehyde and then to acetate um, is very efficient in the liver. Um, at that point, the molecule has essentially been detoxified. Other metabolic processes happen with that acetate, but acetate is essentially vinegar. It's innocuous. Um, so from, from, from that perspective, sort of detoxification is done. Um, right. Very By little the way, there's a couple mm -hmm. of genes involved here. You can be a fast metabolizer and a slow one, right? Um, right. And, uh, and, you can, and you can metabolize the acetaldehyde faster, slow, um, there's there's a couple at work, right? You can be a fast slow or a slow fast or right. a slow slow, um, and I think I metabolize um, the one slow 
and then the second one quickly, which is like a good combination. That that's the that's the ideal one, I think, for most for for most people or whatever. Well, it depends. I get depends on your goal. But uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you if you are uh, if you metabolize the alcohol quickly, um, you and the acetaldehyde slowly, you can actually in that scenario, you actually can accumulate acetaldehyde in the liver. Although relative, you know, in the general population, that's relatively uncommon. Usually, they're so that the rates are matched. Um, and actually, the acetaldehyde metabolism is usually faster. Um, and that's good because acetaldehyde is sort of this intermediate that's high, it's much more toxic than the alcohol itself. Right. Um, and it sort of like wreaks havoc. So, so your liver is generally in a situation where it is able to process that acetaldehyde very efficiently. Um, okay. So the story in your gut is a little bit different. Um, uh, so even though it's a very small amount of the alcohol you drink, some of that alcohol, most of it's absorbed in the bloodstream and it has, you know, it basically goes to the pathway I just described, but a very small amount of that alcohol is actually metabolized directly in your gut in large part by your microbiome. Um, and so, you know, the, the community of microbes that are living in your gut uh, and that small amount of alcohol is almost exclusively converted to acetaldehyde using alcohol dehydrogenases present in the microbiome, but very little acetaldehyde dehydrogenase is present at any given time. And so what happens is that even though it's a small amount of alcohol that's being metabolized in the gut, it actually ends up being the major source of acetaldehyde formation in the whole body is the gut. Um, colonic acetaldehyde levels are basically five to 10 times higher than blood acetaldehyde levels um, sampled you know, of people when they've been drinking, which is very interesting. And so the bacterial colonic pathway of alcohol metabolism is it's a minor source of alcohol metabolism. It really doesn't make much of a difference in terms of the alcohol, which is really where the focus of much of the kind of uh, you know, studies and the community is really, the scientific community is really focused on sort of the alcohol metabolism itself. But as you sort of dive into the nitty gritty, it ends up being a really important source of acetaldehyde um, and the major source of acetaldehyde in the body, actually. And so what happens is that small amount of acetaldehyde, you know, it's the dose makes the poison. It's a very toxic molecule. And, and so that slowly gets absorbed kind of all night as you're drinking into your bloodstream, wreaks havoc throughout your body, and then is very effectively metabolized by the liver. But at that point, um, it's already kind of too late. It's already, you know, um, acetaldehyde is, it sort of creates a lot of issues uh, in, in in your body. It's a highly soluble molecule um, before it gets metabolized. So essentially what Zebiotics has done is just engineered a probiotic bacteria to express that same enzyme that your liver uses, that acetaldehyde dehydrogenase enzyme, but express it in high levels in your gut um, so that we can sort of move that function into the gut where that acetaldehyde is initially being formed. Uh, it's cool. a really simple idea. And, uh, and a single molecule uh, being metabolized by a single enzyme, right? So very simple um, concept and and so very minimal edit had edits had to be done to we started with a very safe probiotic bacteria bacillus subtilis it's a very ubiquitous soil microbe you likely already eat it every day of your life if it's in fresh fruits and uh, on the surface of fresh fruits and vegetables and really on the surface of probably most foods you eat um, it's also been used intentionally in high numbers in the fermentation of certain foods like soybeans um, for the fermented food called natto or um, it's been used in kombucha and so people have humans have been intentionally ingesting um, but still, subtilis in high quantities um, for for you know hundreds of years or, or possibly thousands of years um, of human history that we've been fermenting foods. So um, we started with something that's very safe. We engineered it to express an enzyme that is also very safe. It's expressed by your body and and indeed by many of the microbes kind of in the soil and uh, and, and that are in your gut at any given time. And so really just kind of and this is how we explain to consumers, right, is that we're combining two things that we know already to be safe. Your body has already seen. We're not introducing any new functions into that ecosystem of your gut, right? Like uh, acetaldehyde dehydrogenases are present 70% of all life on the planet. All we're doing is ensuring you're getting enough 
of that enzyme expressed at the time that you need it to ensure that SLI doesn't accumulate in right. the gut. Okay. No, yeah. No, I, I follow you. And it sounds very straightforward. Um, right. But it also sounds uh, very promising. Like, yeah. um, you know, if you can do this, um, you could do a lot of other things, which I've That's heard you exactly, talk about. It's exactly right, right? Like the, the idea here is um, sort of like linking the two together, right? Or uh, our our idea about escalating or elevating the conversation around GMOs and and also building products that people want. Um, I think that there's this very exciting opportunity. I mean, essentially using the same concept, right? We can, I mean, what we've really functionally done, the fact that it's a probiotic is sort of incidental. It's just a, a chassis for this new biological function that we're introducing reliably into your gut. And so there are a lot of biological functions that would probably be really useful um, if they happened um, you know, reliably and, and constitutively in your gut. Um, and so there's so many more things that we can do, right? Like any biological function on the planet uh, from a technical perspective could theoretically be engineered into a probiotic. And then you eat that probiotic and temporarily gain that new function in your gut or, you know, anywhere else you might have a microbiome on your skin, uh, in your mouth, um, anything like that. And so I think there's a lot of really exciting opportunities here to kind of deliver new functions and, and specifically for Zbiotics, we really want to focus on kind of making healthy people healthier rather than sort of, I think a lot of biotechnology initially focuses on fixing disease. And I think that's very important and not to say that it's that, that more the be wellness done, but, industry. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, like I say, especially when, it, when we link it into our mission around advocating for this technology as a very important and valuable technology for humanity, um, a great way to do that is, is to bring it to people when they have a choice. Um, and so when healthy people are making choices about trying to be healthy, for example, with our first product, um, the product is not about drinking, even though it is, of course, um, something that you do when you drink. The product is about all the healthy habits and routines that you have the next day that you don't want to miss out on. That's really what Zbiotics is um, is preserving or creating is really the opportunity for you. Like you're going to go to that wedding or that happy hour or that that you know, that weekend in Cabo or wherever you might be. Uh, and you're, and you're going to have some drinks in that situation. Like you've already, it's already something that, that you normally do in your life. It's part of a normal, healthy social behavior. What happens is that unfortunately right now it's sort of zero sum and that you do that. And then the next day you have to, you know, you, you may have to miss out on other things that you wanted to do things that are very healthy and good for you. Like, like I say, a morning workout or a, uh, a morning hike, um, or meeting up with friends or, or doing chores or, or taking care of your kids. Like all these things are really important to do that, that even sometimes as we get older, even a couple of drinks done responsibly can really disrupt. And so the idea that Zbiotics is there to help ensure that you maintain those healthy behaviors um, is I think what resonates with consumers. And that's really what we intend for that technology to do. Um, and I think that there's so many more things that we can do to help healthy people make healthy, responsible choices to live healthier, happier lives. Um, and I think that's the way that people, you can introduce this technology to people in a way that where they choose it um, and they see and feel the benefits for themselves and know that the technology can do really good things for them. And then in a by extrapolation for all of humanity um, on, a, on a broader scale beyond what Zootics is doing. I get your argument direct, you know, for your consumers that you're making here about right. GMO 2.0. And I understand the product sounds very straightforward. What I'd like to do for the rest of the interview is talk about the bio consumable food tech space. Yeah. Um, you know, our audience, um, our biotech insiders um, could be some Synbio people listening. 
um, you know, could be, you know, people in genomics. Um, talk to us about Symbio, the community you run with. Uh, why is Symbio exploding right now? Why is the consumable and food tech um, taking off? I think you've already given us some clues, but we've also heard on the program that when the price of DNA uh, came down, we'd see synthetic biology uh, taking off. Um, so that's been part of it, right? What are you seeing right now in this space? Yeah, I think it's exactly that, right? The technology has become accessible, um, it, you know, both from a price and uh, and knowledge perspective, right? The, the mm. uh, synthetic biology, right? The cost of of reading and writing DNA has has dropped precipitously. Um, the access to that DNA is is you know unrivaled. Even you know when I was in my when I was in grad school, I mean, uh, 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't even then, uh, it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't that accessible, right? Like, like it was a much harder cloning was much harder and much more technically difficult than it is today where, I mean, it's essentially mail order at this point. Right. And so you don't even have to be super skilled, um, and kind of, you know, all this, you know, cutting and pasting of DNA and, and, all, and uh, you know, struggling through kind of isolating clones and making sure you got the right ones. I mean, everything is so much more efficient and, and streamlined now that that um, a lot more people can do it. And companies, small startups like like ours was um, and, and is um, can afford to kind of undertake very cool synthetic biology projects um, and do so for a pretty affordable price um, and and a very you know short, relatively speaking, uh, development timeline. So I think that. That that fundamentally is really what the case is that like it's just the technology become more accessible to people, um, and I think that uh, that that means that there's more innovation. Like people can dream in all different sorts of directions now um, that they would you know that you wouldn't used to be able to do. Yeah, did I read that you started in an accelerator um, with with like a small lab bench and and um, you know a small investment from the accelerator, and so uh, you had to rely on basically all these kind of um, services and technologies. I came I came out of uh, you know basically my my expertise is in bacterial genetics and bacterial gene regulation, and so so when I ideated this process uh, and this technology for Zbiotics, I specifically chose things that would be that would be pretty simple to execute. And so we did leverage services of, you know, DNA synthesis services and things like that. But really the point more broadly is that even beyond that, like um, I think that like the industry is booming because um, there's so much more accessibility that um, you can dream up synthetic biology companies and not necessarily be, uh, you know, an expert in bacterial gene regulation. Um, like there's, there, there are services out there now that allow you to kind of, dream up synthetic biology solutions without necessarily being an expert um, or, or having the access to the equipment anymore. Um, and I think that that's kind of the exciting future is that, you know, much like sort of, you know, web at one point, you know, if you're trying to make an app, you had to be a developer. And now you can just think like, hey, we need this and you can get somebody to build it for you. And I think that we're getting to that level. Um, and that's where I think why I think innovation is, is exploding so much is that the ideas that we need to innovate um, are being outsourced to a broader subset of people who can who can think through really new and exciting ideas. They don't have to just be um, people who have the capabilities to do synthetic biology. Um, so I think that that's when you start to get exciting um, innovations with the new technology. When I met you, I also met um, Impossible Foods. Um, there were some other uh, others in the food tech space um, at that conference, 
And since then, and, and you mentioned some of these companies on your website, which is kind of cool. You know, you mentioned some of the others in the community. Um, but since then, I've seen Impossible Burgers in the markets, fast food chains, and um, products um, of some of these companies as well. What's happened um, for you guys the past few years? Um, what yeah. are the issues you're facing? Take us, um, take us uh, into a day in in your life uh, over the past few years. Um, <laughs> being a CEO of of uh, you know a consumables companies, what what is life like? What are the issues you're facing? Yeah, I think that like you know you mentioned impossible. I mean, I think that that's as far as I know one of a uh, a very short list uh, beyond us and impossible of of companies that are bringing a synthetic biology product directly to consumers. It's, um, and uh, but that being said, I think that people are starting to the, the the category is starting to slowly kind of grow. And I and and so for us, it's sort of you know, we feel as a big responsibility and in line with our mission to, to try and build that category and not only just not only earn consumer trust, but also demonstrate to the industry that we don't, I think that there's this, this belief that, that, uh, we have, that we need to be afraid of consumers, that they, that they don't want GMOs and that we have to figure out ways to deliver to them and, or, in, in ways that they don't know, or, or, or building a consumer brand will be very hard with genetic engineering and, and, Zebra actually set out with the hypothesis that that wasn't true, that fundamentally wasn't true, that consumers are upset about how GMOs are currently being used, and that's being conflated with the technology, which is unfortunate, but that people's minds are by no means made up yet, um, that if you give them a good product that they want, um, and you're transparent about their, your use of the technology to build that product that they want, that they're more than willing to accept that. Um, and that's exactly what we've seen so far, and I think that that's um, where the industry needs to head is just – just being, um, you know, building pe- building products people want, um, and doing so, and, and you know, using genetic engineering, synthetic biology, and being very transparent about it. And so, you know, that's that's the GMO uh, headwind that you've decided not to accept, which right. we've talked about. And so that could come under the PR category slash sales, right? Right? right. <clears throat> that that you're just not going to accept, and, and you're going out there to change that, and and I see that. That's that's a big one for this category. Uh, but what else um, have has been a reality? I I think I heard you talking about um, um, the logistics of the supply chain just for your bacteria. Um, you had chosen yeah. a unique bacteria, although it's on on food and everything. Um, it hadn't been used in other probiotics, and so this was kind of a surprise for you. Um, so there's there's you know supply chain issues and other things. Um, yes, that you've run for into. sure. Right, right, and yeah, and, and, I'll, and I'll clarify a little bit. Actually, like I, I would argue that there's a perceived headwind that I'm arguing is actually not as strong as everybody thinks. But okay. the, uh, in terms of the GMOs, but okay. yes. Um, in addition, well, sometimes we, you know, perceived headwinds can be <laughs> right. Well, issues. it's great. It created created an opportunity for us. When a lot of companies that were probably a lot more uh, had a lot more technical expertise than we did, um, mm. kind of you know shied away and kind of created an opening uh, for, mm. for, for for startup to kind of innovate and, and and be the you know the world's first ever genetically engineered probiotic to go to market. I love um, it, and I think that that was only possible because of of that perceived headwind that that didn't really exist. So. Um, right. You're, anyway, you're, yes. you're owning it, right? You're just owning it. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, there, there was a lot of things. So, you know, when I started the company, I very naively thought that the science would be the hardest part. And that was a good news for me as a scientist, because I was very confident in my ability 
to execute on that science. And, and indeed we did, we, we built our first product and, um, and saw a lot of success with that uh, from a technical perspective. Um, but, uh, what I didn't, uh, appreciate was how difficult it would be to commercialize the world's first ever genetically engineered probiotic. Um, and a lot of, you know, in hindsight, it's very obvious, but at, you know, at the time as a trained scientist, I thought like you make a product people want, uh, you put it on the market, it'll, you know, done and done. It'll Boom. sell itself. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, not <laughs> it's all, all UPS from here. Right, <laughs> right. Just UPS that's driver. exactly right. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. It turns out that's, that's not at all how that, how that works. Um, so, you know, there was, there was a relatively, um, straightforward regulatory process, but it did take us a while to kind of navigate and figure out where we were going. You know, being okay. the first means that there, there's not really, um, there's nobody else. There's no path to follow that nobody's done it before. So you can't really like, so you kind of have to figure out what, what first and foremost, what regulatory agency is regulating you, uh, yeah. and then how they're regulating you, and so um, that was an interesting process. And so, right, um, who we was figured it? it out was it the USDA? It's the for us. We we decided. So this is these are all decisions that we made. So we decided to be bring the park to market as a food, um, and so we went through the grass, um, generally recognized as safe food pathway. So that's regulated by the FDA. Okay. Um, and so there's a there's a clear defined path for that, and and mm-hmm. we fit into that. You know. As regulations are currently written, we fit in well to that, um, and so that's the path we went through. But it took a while. We had to find a lot of consultants and, and kind of figure out where we were supposed to be and, and what we needed to do. Um, now that we've done that, it, I think it's just it'll be a little bit easier for us and for others as well to just kind of follow in the same that same path. And then um, uh, manufacturing, as you mentioned, has been just a continual headache, without a doubt. Um, this is the biggest opportunity in the synthetic biology space, hands down. Um, there is just not a good, uh, supply chain for, for, for this, the, these types of products. So hmm. I thought that, you know, look, we have, like you said, it's bacillus subtilis, very common bacteria. It's grown all over the place, like in fermented foods. It's, it's part of, of, you know, there are pr- many probiotics companies that put bacillus subtilis, um, or other bacilli, uh, into their, uh, probiotic cocktails or in the probiotic pills. Um, but what I found was that when we got out there is that manufacturers, you know, contract fermentation providers don't like to grow new strains. They basically like to say, like, here's our menu of the strains we grow, pick one, and you can put it in your product. I, I guess I hadn't really appreciated the lack of innovation in the probiotics industry to date. It's really everybody's white labeling the same strains. Um, and on the off chance you have a novel isolate or a new strain or whatever, um, then you're it's a big uphill battle to get somebody to manufacture for you or you're building your own manufacturing yourself. Um, so we have our own strain. Um, ours is genetically engineered. Um, Bacillus subtilis is a spore forming bacteria. So these are all things that depending on the manufacturer, they really didn't want to touch. Um, mostly it was the fact there's a spore former. I, I picked it, uh, a spore former because it means from a practical standpoint, I mean, the, the product is very shelf stable room temperature, almost indefinitely. It can pass through your stomach acid unharmed without encapsulation. It gives us a ton of flexibility in terms of form factor and product. But um, it turns out that because it's so hard to kind of clean um, and, and, and uh, places are worried about cross-contamination, they really want to work with it. So that massively narrowed uh, our opportunities. And then, of course, there was the handful of companies that didn't want to work with the GMO. Um, uh, which was too bad, but honestly, that was, hmm. we didn't, we didn't have too many, um, so, where that was an not issue. Not just from consumers, but from actual companies who are- Well, the companies themselves do it because of consumers. They want to say, basically there's all this whole movement, right? This very like, and, and I could go down a rabbit hole on this. And I won't. Um, 
is around like sort of like the again this this fear or belief that that GMOs are, that consumers refuse to accept a GMO, and so all these brands that have nothing to do with genetic engineering whatsoever in one direction or the other want to put that non-GMO butterfly on their label to have this like quote you know clean label, um, and so to get that you know uh, oh, they want to the get label. those customers yes they want right the exactly, label. and so to get those customers then that the, these manufacturers want to say that we don't we are a non-GMO facility. So we can guarantee you won't have any GMOs in your product. And then you can put that label on your product. And so it's just, mm-hmm. it's just everybody assuming kind of that, like we have to have this in order to sell product that is create, it's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways. And it's very frustrating. We need to come up with the butterfly GMO label. Oh yeah. The bioengineer B. That's what I want to have. I want to have like a bumblebee, right? Like, you know, <laughs> bees bee. pass genetic information, you know, from one, <laughs> from one plant to another, right? They're like sort of the original bioengineers. And so <laughs> the I'd original like bioengineered a, bumblebee. Yes. Yeah. So I, I want to have like a, a response, like, you know, like a responsibly genetically engineered bumblebee. Like, so there's a seal <laughs> that says like, we followed responsible engineering tactics. We're transparent. Uh, and, you know, it'd be great. So I'm with you. Uh, yeah. those, and down those, in the uh, fine print, the it's like, you know, all the things that we've done, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's, you know, and, that, and that's our, and on our bigger mission around uh, advocating for the category of genetic engineering in the consumer space. And we want to get defined regulations and we want, we want sort of, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of kind of transparency for the consumer. And so I think there's, there's a lot of things that we're, we're working on actively to do that. But, um, uh, but for now, anyway, it, it's still one of those things where it, like I say, it sort of like artificially creates this headwind. Um, manufacturers think that they have to be this way in order to get custody, you know, to get, to get brands to, to work with them because the brands believe that the customers want. So, but yeah, generally speaking, contract manufacturing has been very difficult. And picking up on that, one of the things that I've, I've asked um, Synbio companies is about scale because I know this was an issue for you know, the burger companies, the meat companies. Is it really expensive right. to engineer this bacteria and um, to get to the point where you could have a price that people could afford this? Yeah, no, I mean, look, the engineering itself is very straightforward, especially the way we do it, um, right? Like we use very basic, you know, we use homologous recombination, natural sort of uh, competence bacteria able to take up this DNA. And, and so so the, the R&D itself is very straightforward, um, not very expensive. In terms of the actual manufacturing of the product, I mean, we're talking about growing bacteria in a fermenter. I mean, this is a, a very old technology, um, you know, doing oh, okay. the brewing industry for literally 6,000 years. It's just getting somebody who's willing to do it with our strain, which has been a huge headache. Um, and so ultimately, look, if we get the CapEx to build our own, that's what we're going to do. We're going to in-house it. But until that point, we're going to outsource it. And it's just a headache to find people who work with us. Scale is a challenge, right? Because you kind of find these, you know, especially when you're a small small company with with small demand, you really can't guarantee a lot of scale. So you have to find sort of small scale providers. But then, of course, as you get successful, you have to scale up and they may not have the capacity to so move to another and that, you know, uh, facility that has bigger scale and the whole process starts over and um, so it is one of these things where I think the synthetic biology industry will move a lot faster once we have uh, manufacturing for Symbio as a, as a service. Um, you know, once this becomes something that, that, that we can actually get done. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of CMOs and CDMOs out there. Um, it's not it, the system is not right yet. There's still very much of a mismatch between the, sort of the new Symbio companies and what is currently available. And so I know that there are companies working on solving this problem and as soon as it is solved, I think that's going to that's really going to be the next um, sort of escalation and acceleration for this industry. 
the next big breakthrough, CMOs yeah. for the new Synbio companies. <clears throat> yes, exactly. There were probably yeah. CMOs way back in the day for biofuels and all that kind of thing. Let's finish up then with a question about, because uh, we're running out of time, I, I you know, I thought, well, I'll do this, you know, holiday show on this hangover cure, and it'll be a short little show. And <laughs> and we're running out of time. Um, what's on I the horizon say, for the? You know, <laughs> <laughs> no, this is super interesting and fun, and I, I have a feeling, you know, you're going to be back on the program talking about other products, and and there's going to be a lot more like you. What's on the horizon for the company this year? Um, mm-hmm. let, let's look at the near term. Um, is this product going to keep you busy or, or the next couple of years? Is, th- is this product going to totally keep you busy? Is this a, you know, that big of a product? Are you already working on the next product mm-hmm. products? Um, the vision here is to develop a line of products. I know you've already right. talked about that. So, um, and what could those be? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, you know, we had, and uh, I was describing, it's definitely a, a breakout year this year in, in 2022 grew a lot. Um, and so we're looking to kind of, you know, the first product is our, our sort of beachhead, our, our proof of concept. I think it's exciting in its own right. I think that there is a large addressable market here and, and the product can do a lot of work in kind of ha- being that first step into opening up people's minds and opening up that conversation and, and really being an ambassador for, for this category of genetically engineered probiotics. But, um, and so it is definitely going to keep us very busy, um, for the next, um, you know, for the, for the near future, without a doubt, um, uh, the next couple of years, no doubt. That being said, um, we have much bigger aspirations. And so, um, while it's going to keep us very busy, we're going to have to figure out a way to be very busy with that while also launching, uh, our second product, uh, which we're hoping to launch in the next year. Um, it's already developed. Um, and, um, we're very excited uh, and validated. We're very excited about it. It's a totally different product. It's a totally different use case. Um, we're still kind of keeping the powder dry. We haven't announced it yet, but um, it's related to kind of uh, gut health. Um, it's totally different than the first one. It has nothing to do with drinking um, or, or anything like that. Um, but I do think it has an overlapping customer who is concerned with their health and well-being and kind of living a healthier, happier life. So um, that product is we're very excited about. We're hoping to be able to announce that product later this or, or middle of uh, 2023 um, and, and hopefully launch it within the next year. Um, we're just in the commercialization process now, and then, um, we're developing several other products, um, using the same technology, same platform, um, uh, with constitutively active promoters expressing useful, uh, enzymes, uh, inside the gut. So things related to athletic performance and, um, uh, nutrient acquisition and, and protection from other kind of toxic oh. molecules you're exposed to in your daily life, um, even things like sleep and mood, I think, are on the table. There are things in the early ideation process for us. But there's just a lot of really cool things that happen in your gut. And um, there are simple biochemical reactions that can have a really meaningful effect for you. And so that's really where we're focused. And I think there's, you know, the sky is the limit. And we're excited about the category. We're not, we hope that, you know, five years down the road, we have several products in the market and that there are also lots of other companies with genetically engineered probiotics doing all kinds of other cool things. I, I think that. This is a really exciting place for synthetic biology, and I think consumers are excited about it, um, which is what we're seeing with our first product. So, so it's uh, it's exciting times. I'm very excited about the next five years at Zbiotics. Nice, happy holidays, happy holidays to our audience. And, you know, safe um, drinking out there, and you now have a product 
um, that can help you out. We got to say, this product is very easy to order. One can go directly to Zach's website, um, and it's very useful this time of year. Zbiotics.com. Zach Abbott, CEO of Zbiotics. Thanks so much, Zach. Oh, thank you for having me. This is great. Today's podcast is brought to you by Twist Bioscience. Twist works in service of people who are changing the world for the better in fields such as medicine, agriculture, industrial chemicals, and data storage. Its unique silicon-based DNA synthesis platform provides precision at a scale that is otherwise unavailable. Check out their products at twistbioscience.com and join them as they write the future of science.